This is Cameron Burgess, and you're listening to the Film Focus Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and it's time to follow Fulham away again at long last as the Whites travel to the John Smith Stadium this Saturday to face Huddersfield Town. There's a strong Fulham Focus contingent travelling up north this weekend. We, of course, hope to see you there making plenty of noise in that way in. Joining me to look ahead to the game in Yorkshire are my two wonderful friends, Danny and J-Mac. So let's get on with the show. Well, lads, it's our first away match where Fulham fans have been allowed to travel since Bristol City away on the 7th of March last year. Being allowed back into stadiums is brilliant and we had our first taste of it back at the cottage last weekend. But there's just something that more special about watching your team away from home. So I'm expecting a decent turnout in Yorkshire this weekend. J-Matt, what do you love about watching Fulham away from home? Oh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, going back to Huddersfield, it sounds like it could be a sellout. The Borough fans would be impressed with us, thank God. But um, I think it's mainly the drinking. But it was also the camaraderie of being away in a a foreign land, so to speak, and having all your Fulham fellowship beside you to keep you comfortable and knowing you're in good company and, you know, you're there for a very good reason. I I feel like I'm getting too philosophical about it now. But generally, it's always nicer going to another house party, isn't it? And and not having to worry about cleaning up and basically having a giant (laughs) house party on the train ride home. So, I mean, also, it's just great for the WhatsApp message. I remember you being away somewhere at a pub because you missed your train, narrating some locals' dismay at a fruit machine once, and then missing another train in the process of all that with more Guinness <laughs> that you kept having. It was brilliant. But yeah, I, I love away days, man. I'm really gutted I'm not coming with you guys to Huddersfield, to be honest. That sounds familiar. How about you, Danny? What do you love about a, a full of away day? I think it's the camaraderie. You know, like when you're at home, um, you try and create an atmosphere, and, and, and I think to an extent the, the cottage creates its own atmosphere anyway, just because of um, how picturesque it is. But when you're away from home, you don't have the the singers, you know, the more vocal, passionate fans here, there, and everywhere. Is you're you're in a confined space, you're all together. I think it's a lot easier to create an atmosphere, and you know, usually you will be outnumbered by the home crowd. Um, so it just I think it just gives you that 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 edge, you know. You, you, your backs are against the wall, kind of thing. It's us against the world. You're, you're playing on their turf, um, and it's the, but for me, for me, it's not just the match. You know, win, lose, or draw, it it can be irrelevant when you look back on an away day for the experience, and you can say that was an amazing day, bar the result. You know, we got battered six nil, but what a laugh it was. So it's it's the, it's just the whole the whole setup, the whole occasion. And, you know, I, I think who you go with can can make it an important day. And, and thank, thank goodness I'm not going with you. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't want to spoil it by having to sit with you, that's for sure. <laughs> I definitely see you up there, though. And, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's almost like the Fulham hardcore, isn't it, that, that go away from home. And I can't go away from home every week anymore. Um, I can't be bothered to go away from home every week anymore, more to the point. Um, but those kind of every now and then away games that you do, maybe six, seven, eight a season or whatever. They're just they're just great because it's a proper day out, isn't it, with your mates? And it, it's such good fun. And I'm really looking forward to it. 
Um, what I will say though is that um, bought a uh, bought a couple of tickets. I'm going up with Wigo on um, on Saturday. Bought a couple of tickets, and um, as I was ordering them, um, I got I got the confirmation through, and it said print on print print these off. So I printed them off and had a look at the seat numbers. Yep, that's what I ordered. Then through the post today, I've got paper tickets through the post. You know your normal match tickets, which have got different seat numbers on. So I, what I would say. If you're going to the game and you've printed off tickets uh, at home, just double check your seat number if you receive a, a paper ticket as well, because that could be absolute chaos, couldn't it, up in the away end on, on Saturday. If half of the people have got paper tickets, half of the people have printed off their own tickets at home, they've all got conflicting seat numbers. There's, there's going to be people like everyone, well, people are going to have had a drink as well. So, you know, trying to find your seat or find somewhere to sit could, could be a bit of a pain in the arse if, if that is a situation. I've never been to um, the John Smith Stadium before. Because it's a really nice away day, to be honest. It's quite far, obviously, but it looks really. Yeah, I've been. I've been a few times before. It's quite a nice ground, quite modern. But, but yeah, I'm. Um, I, I am a little bit apprehensive about this this ticket situation and and whether we're which seat I'm going to be in. I'm either in row S or row X. Take your pick, depending on you know which um, which ticket you believe and also one thing i noticed today as well when the tickets arrived with that um this is such a, a minor point but it made me laugh um was that the um my name and address on the front of the envelope had been handwritten i picture some uh, work experience kid or something having to write out 2000 envelopes with all these bloody names <laughs> and addresses on hopefully they get that sorted throughout the season otherwise someone's going to have right cramp in their wrists and I'm not in the sense that Baldo would either anyway let's <laughs> Let's move it on. Let's move it on. So, Danny, Marco Silva surprised a few people last week with his team selection, particularly in selecting Paolo Gazaniga over Marek Rodak. I hope that doesn't push Rodak away and that he fights for his place. And I didn't personally see much from Gazaniga in the Middlesbrough game that made me think he's any better than Rodak. And I hope that Marek is given a fair chance this season. But now it feels like we've got to wait for a mistake from Gazaniga before he's let back in the side. What do you make of the goalkeeper situation, mate? Yeah, well, it's funny you said that about him having to make a mistake before he's dropped. And I think it comes, we're not going to know, only Marco Silva's going to know whether Rodak didn't play because he wasn't 100% fit last week. Maybe he didn't want to risk him. If Rodak went into the season as his number one, then regardless of how well Gazaniga played last week, Rodak should go in against Huddersfield if he's fit. But if he was undecided who was his number one. And it just so happened through bad luck that Rodak wasn't 100% fit and Gaza got his chance. I don't think it's fair for him to be dropped either. So although although the situation is very harsh on, on Rodak and we all feel sorry for him and, and have a lot of love for him because of what happened to him last season with Ariola, and he was phenomenal when he came through uh, in, in the last promotion. And... I think the fact that he's, you know, come from our academy, we want to see him play and he deserves to play. But football can be unforgiving sometimes and cruel to certain people. It's just bad timing. And, you know, Gazaniga is our goalkeeper now. He's not on loan. He's, he's our goalkeeper. So I feel like we should give him the same respect we're going to give Rodak. And I don't think he deserves to be dropped based on that Borough performance. It was very hard to know, to take anything from it. He fluffed it across at the very beginning. Um, could put that down to nerves on his debut. But other than that, it, it was very hard to judge him because he didn't have nothing to do. And, and the goal wasn't his fault. So, 
Yeah, I'm I'm not really fussed either way who we play because I think we've got a, a really strong uh, number one and two goalkeepers. But um, I hope if Rodak comes in, it's because he was the number one to start with uh, because I don't think Gazaniga deserves to be dropped. Yeah, jumping in on that, I thought his performance against Borough was perfectly assured. I mean, a couple of spooky moments um, with his hands, I thought. He was punching it away, like you were saying, a bit like Sergio Rico at some points. But I, I've i got this feeling. I mean, I wouldn't blame if Rodak is getting a bit pissed off now, to be honest. And I can see him maybe wanting to move away. I think Gazaniga is going to be our number one this season, if I'm honest. Um, I think he's just a Premier League goalkeeper. And as much as I can't believe we put Rodak in a situation like this again to shaft him for a second time in a row this season, but um, in two seasons, I just think Gazaniga is just... I just think he looks like a Premier League goalkeeper. He is a Premier League goalkeeper from his experience. Um, very good physique, good height. And, you know, we're not playing at the back anymore, precisely. That's not exactly our full style of play like it was under Parker or Slavisa. I I just have this feeling Gazaniga is going, it's his to lose now, really. Um, I mean, I feel very sorry for Roda, and I might be wrong. Maybe Roda will start against Huddersfield. But I, I just think Gazaniga is, I don't think, I just don't think Marcus Silva's a here to piss around. He's going to pick an experienced Premier League goalkeeper to get us straight back up. And I think he's the main man for him. I don't, I don't think you're likely to see Rodak this weekend, simply because I watched an interview with Tim Ream on the um, on the Fulham website earlier. And Tim Ream was talking about Gazaniga and the relationship that he's been building with him and with him and, and Tosin as well. And uh. also the way that Gazaniga has been kind of integrating with the rest of the team as well. So whilst I thought that Rodak would probably be our number one this season, I think you might be right for the time being, but that being said, you know, a goalkeeper goalkeeper's position is quite fickle, isn't it? And once a goalkeeper's made a couple of mistakes, as Marcus Bessinelli will tell you, um, as Fabri will tell you, um, then, you know, you're out the side uh, and that's your lot. So, um, you're right, though. I think I think Danny's right as well. You know, it's it's his to lose now, um, and hopefully, hopefully, we won't be at the point where he does lose it because that's going to mean that you know he's made a mistake and you know we've we've, we've probably lost the game. So um, let's come on to that defence though. Uh, Baldo said on the Borough reaction show at the weekend that he'd expect the team to change a fair amount before it finally does settle. And as rare as it is for me to agree with Baldo. Going, I'm going to on this occasion. I think Tim and Re- Tim Ream and Tosin were the first centre back pairing this season, and Tim Ream looked like he was back to his old self, proving once again that he's an extremely competent player at Championship level. Plus, Tosin had a, a decent season in the Premier League last year. But then you've got the likes of Michael Hector, Alfie Mawson, Terence Congolo when he's fit, waiting in the wings. Again, are we waiting for the current occupants of that first team place to make a mistake before the others are given a chance? Basically, what I'm asking you boys is, what's our strongest centre-back pair in this season? On paper, for me, I mean, I think it's Tosin, and you're going to laugh at me, but I think it's Congolo. And I know it sounds ridiculous because of injuries, and but Congolo's reputation and experience prior to joining us aren't too shabby at all. I think he's a lot quicker than Mawson and Reem um, when he isn't breaking a toe or three. However, the, the off-paper pairing, and, and what my heart tells me is that it's actually what we saw last last weekend. It's Tosin and Reem. It's a good balance of experience and youth. Uh, both players fantastic with the ball at their feet. They know the club quite well now. Certainly Tim Ream does. And, and despite being too low, too slow for Premier League, uh, I would say that 
I think Tim Ream's going to have his the last dance season for us now. I, I'm enjoying him as a captain and as a leader. And, you know, he hasn't stopped tweeting since the first game. So I imagine he's now club uh, and captain for good this season. And, and it's his place to lose. And Tosin next to him is a perfect combination. I, I think... I think we will lose one of Adoy, Hector, Mawson, Congolo before the window's end, ends, maybe, because we, we've we've been lazily linked to Cameron Carter-Vickers today, as always, in the transfer window. And there's no way we could be expecting more centre-backs without without offloading some. And I wouldn't mind Carter-Vickers at all, but we just need to offload maybe Mawson and Adoy first. But point being, I, I think, for me, to sum up, definitely Tosin and Reem. Yeah, I think it's all about getting the balance right. Um, and I don't know if it's necessarily about playing the best players. It's about playing the right combination of back four. Um, Ream is, I would say, is arguably the best ball-playing centre-back in the division um, and, and probably has been for the last four or five years. Um, what he lacks is, is pace. But, he, you know, what I liked against... Um, Borough was that when he got the ball, his first thought was to run forward into the midfield. It was very direct, very purposeful with what he wanted to do with the ball. He never, he very rarely looked to his right to square it to toss him uh, yeah, or, or go back to the goalkeeper. His first thought was always go forward. And what, what um, that does is it allows, it means that the, the opposition's formation has to change when Reem does that. You know, already he's he's beaten the striker that's pressing him, and now the midfield have to push up and try and tackle him, and then and then the defense have to squeeze up, and then all of a sudden those three behind Mitrovic that are making forward runs, the penetrating runs off of him, it all of a sudden allows us to beat the offside trap, or it just it just throws it drags people out of positions when Reem does that. And I don't know if any of the other centre-backs can do that. I also think that Tosin is the defender we need to be building our defence around. He's the one that's the future. He's the one that's going to be there next season in the Premier League if we go up, hopefully. Um, and you know, it's about who's going to be the best partner to suit him. If he wants to play on the right, because last season he was playing on the left to accommodate Anderson. If he wants to play on the right, that rules out Hector. Um, and then it's just a, a choice of Congolo, Mawson and Reem. And yeah, it's, it's about continuity. It's about uh, having a steady, reliable um, unit at the back that, that play together every week. You know, you think back to the Dugana team. Until Cookie got injured, it was always the same four. It was always Brevitt, Melville, Coleman, Finnan. And then when Cookie was injured, it was Kit, just Kit Simons replaced him. It was always the same four. And for me, Congolo and Mawson don't guarantee you that. But Reem's track record over the last four or five years do. You know, he's, he's played 200 games, 200 odd games for us in, in the last four or five years. He's consistent. So that reliability makes him probably a really good uh, choice for captain as well. Um, because we all see that TC, you know, he's, he's always injured, which is unfortunate. But you can't have a club captain that's never on the pitch. So... I think it's Tossing and Ream. And unfortunately for Brian, whilst Ream is in the team, I think that means Robinson has to play. For the same reason, Carl Walker has to play for England. You know, Trent Alexander-Arnold is, is probably the best crosser of the ball in the Premier League. Um, Trippier, 
you know, is a really good, uh, as a really good delivery. But ultimately, Carl Walker always plays for England because when those centre backs step out, like Reem does for us, he's round on the cover. He's the fastest player in, in the country. And it's that insurance policy he gives us. So I think with, with Brian and Robinson, it, it's just a case of what do we need more? Brian's left foot or Robinson's pace? And unfortunately, whilst Reem's in the team, I think we need Robinson. So for me, the balance at the moment is is as, as good as it's going to be. Another thing that I picked up from that Tim Ream interview today actually was that he didn't actually say he's club captain, but he just said that they've asked him to take on more leadership responsibility. And he said that whilst he's not the most vocal person on the pitch, he's enjoying stepping up to having that extra responsibility. But I don't think he's he's club captain there's been no word on that. So you have to assume that it's still Tom Kearney. But like Danny just said, how many games are you going to get out of Tom Kearney this season? And does it make any sense for him, him to still remain as club captain if, he, if he's not on the pitch? Um, I want to come on to Harrison Reid. Um, we'll wait and see whether he's going to be fit for this game this weekend. I think I think he had a, a late fitness test last weekend, which clearly he failed because he didn't play. Um, but if he's fit, then you'd expect him to come in for Tyrese Francois in that defensive midfield role. I think Harrison Reed is a linchpin who can transform this team from maybe a six and a half out of 10 performance, which is probably what it was last weekend, and upgrade it to an eight. He's going to be super important again this season, isn't he, J-Mac? Oh, he is. And I think I saw him pictures of him training today with Harry Wilson. So I, I think we might see him uh, this, this weekend. I mean, his bite and energy and clean-up work will be integral to a silver system and allowing two, two number eights attacking in front of them. But that that being said, he will have injuries this season. He he always does. And we, sorry to keep bringing back to transfers, but we will need one or maybe two new centre mids, in my opinion, if Angisa and Seri both leave. And, and leave. And Angisa is most definitely off. I think the Grimes, see, the Grimes deal sounds off, in all honesty, and Chris Hughes is off to the team. I mean, I hear we're inquiring for Nathaniel Chalaba from Watford, who would be very good for us. He can play as a defensive midfielder like Reed, but more of an anchor role. And he can also go up forward like Hughes and Cleverly did under Silva while Nathaniel cleaned up. I, I think Reed has a lot more to offer, actually, uh, than his new number six shirt implies. It's just a, a clean-up match. I, I feel like he could swap roles intermittently with a player like Chalaba very well. Um, you know, going forward, look, as good as fantastic as Reed is, we need more muscle and championship promotion I th- uh, experience, I think. Uh, in the middle to win top two this season. I thought Onoma was excellent against Borough, by the way. Just I know you didn't ask me that question. I just thought he was really good. So I think we're one good central, central midfield addition away uh, from being there. But yeah, Harrison Reed, perfect. Just I think we're going to need a little bit more depth. Yeah, we've we've also got Michael Hector, though. We were talking about this earlier on today. Oh, yeah. um, and Michael Hector can play that defensive midfield role. He used to play it for Reading and whilst whilst he was playing for Reading in that role, they didn't have a particularly great season. But we know what Michael Hector is like in this division. He was he was superb when he came into the team as a centre-back last time. He's played defensive midfield before. He's played it for Jamaica before. And yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a, terrible, I, a, a terrible situation if we don't sign anybody to have him as backup in that position. Yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing that. In all honesty, um, I, I feel like if if he's used to playing that for his national team, it's not obviously the plan A that I would pick. But if he was to come on and help sort of secure a win when we're two one up or something like that, I, I'd like to see it. Yeah, for sure. I just I I, I know that Hector. Sorry, I know that Harrison Reed is 
um, a fantastic defensive midfielder and, you know, the ginger Kante and all that. But I, I love seeing him go forward and I'd love to get another player in that allows him to do that a little bit more this season and not just be a, a number six for us. I don't know what Danny thinks, but. Well, I, th- I think you're, you're both wrong about Hector. I, I, I'm not, not buying into that at all. Um, I mean, it, I think he's good on the ball um, as a centre-back at this level, but that's completely different to playing in midfield. I, I think the only centre-back that could possibly play that role is is, is Ream, if you, if you made him play like McDonald, because he's, he's neat and tidy, but... I don't want to see centre backs in in defensive midfield. If I'm honest, you know that that's not the answer. We need to be going out and buying um, a, a proper midfielder. We we won't get top two if we're playing defenders in midfield. And and I think my my biggest concern about Hector playing there is his discipline, is is positional discipline. Um, when he you know if you remember back to when we was in the the first few games of the Premier League, Leeds away when we lost four three. He was forever coming out of position. He's just he he loves to get involved. He's very eager to to bring the ball out, and I I just don't think he would be have that positional discipline to sit there and protect the defense. I think he'd be all over the place. So I I am a big fan of Hector. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like um, his time at the club you know might be coming to an end. That's you know he's rumored to be going elsewhere or. It seems that Tossin is is preferred on the right anyway, um, so I can't see him getting in the team. But yeah, certainly not, certainly not in that position. And and as for Harrison Reed, he walks back into the team. I know I said with Gazaniga, he, he can only be dropped if he deserves to be dropped. That's not the same for Francois. You know, he he, he did amazing uh, against Borough, considering he, he's a young man that's not got much first team experience, but. Harrison Reed for me is the, is the best player in the squad. Uh, I'm going to say, well, the most important, arguably. Um, and for me, if he's fully fit, he walks back into that team. What I will say is that those youngsters, Francois and, and Carvalho, we need to manage their game time in the same way we did with Cessignon when he was 16. We had Scott Malone and they seemed to share that left back role. So Cessignon was never overplayed you know he was never able to burn out and we got a consistent progress from him through that season onto the next season and we need to be um, doing similar with with those two and I I think a good good way to start that um, you know that that sort of game management for them would be for Francois to start against Huddersfield who are got quite a depleted squad at the moment because of COVID and are one of the favourites to go down anyway. So we should beat them in theory. I wouldn't mind Francois starting that game and going off with about 20 minutes to go to give Reed a run out off the bench. So he has some minutes under his belt so that Reed is ready to go into that Millwall game on Wednesday night. Because for me, that's the kind of game where fans have been away for so long. You go to the den, they're going to be up for it. That's the kind of, of of atmosphere they'll try and create an intimidation and 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 hostile atmosphere. I think it would be quite dangerous to go there with a midfield three of Carvalho, Francois, and Onamaha as your most senior midfielder, who's, who's barely a, you know a man himself. So for me, Harrison really needs to be fully fit for that. 
And there's no point in bringing Harrison Reed back early and rushing him and then him having a setback. We need him for as much as possible. It's a 40 game, 46 game season. So let's, let's not rush him back on Saturday if he's not 100%. Yeah, a couple of things. That, that Millwall game's actually on Tuesday as well. So there's less turnaround time. And I know it's still really early in the season, but we're going to need the squad anyway. So I don't think it will be the same team that plays on, on Saturday that plays necessarily starts on Tuesday. The second thing is uh, for anybody that listened to the show last time after the Middlesbrough game, and I blamed Fabio Carvalho for losing his man. It wasn't him. It was Tyrese Francois. Um, and you can say he was brilliant all you want, but he cost us the goal. Um, and I know he's young and all of that nonsense, but if you're young enough, you're good enough. But he did cost us that goal for not having eyes in the back of his head and having that awareness of where that Middlesbrough player was. But so, yeah. see, for me, that that's why it's crucial to to give game management with those youngsters because I, agree. I, yeah. I, I, I think they, they both held their own against Borough. I thought they both proved that they're good enough to compete at this level. And I thought they dealt with the physical battle and the, like the bullying uh, that, that Borough tried to, to give them quite well. It was only they was almost in sync with each other that their performance performance levels dipped at around the sixty fifth minute, and mm. it, I just think that they're not used to playing first team football. To me, they they both tired at, at, at the same time and should have been taken off a bit earlier than they was. Um, yeah. And for me, that mistake for the goal is a mental mistake, mental tiredness. Just switch off for that split second, and you lose your man. And that's why we need. Harrison Reed back uh, sooner rather than later, just because I, I think those that would iron out those kind of mistakes. And it, you know, we could say, sit here and say it was two points dropped. We deserved the win, but I think that there was a lot of there was a lot more positives to take out of that performance than there was negatives. I thought. Yeah, I agree with you. Completely agree with you. Let's come on to Saturday's game, then let's uh, let's leave the Middlesbrough game behind. Saturday's opponents, Huddersfield, had something of a crisis for their opening match of the season away at Derby last week. As you said, Danny, when four of their players received positive COVID tests, plus their head coach, Carlos Corberan, formerly Marcello Bielsa's assistant at Leeds United until summer last year, also tested positive. So he was missing from Pride Park as well. Derby are a club in crisis themselves and the game finished 1-1. So I don't think we learned a great deal about this weekend's opponents from that match alone. However, Huddersfield finished in 20th place last season, six points above relegation in the championship with just 12 wins all season. I was having a look at their transfer business and their squad has really undergone a, a huge overhaul this summer. They've lost 14 players this summer, including former Fulham central defender Richard Stearman, who signed for Derby last week and also Another centre-half, Christopher Schindler, who left for Nuremberg. They've brought eight new faces in so far, including Jordan Rhodes, who returns to the club where he made his name at the age of 31. Because of this upheaval, Huddersfield seemed to be a club in transition and as such are an unknown quantity. So I think we'll need to be really wary of him, J-Mac. What, what do you know of Huddersfield, if anything? Well, I mean, I'm trying to get stats together and it's quite hard because you're taking stats from this season. There's only been one game played so far. But... Um... Jordan Rhodes, I, I, I didn't. That completely went under the radar for me. I didn't know he even went there. That's weird. Um, but I'm looking at their formation they played last week. It's it's a three-five-two. So they're obviously playing very, you know, carefully and stuff. And I, I, to be honest, 
I think they'll probably flirt with relegation quite a lot this season. Um, I, I think I like the sound of their manager, Bielsa's number two. That's there, but by the sounds of things, it doesn't it doesn't sound it doesn't sound even mid-table, if I'm honest, where they're going to end up. Um, I like the look of one of their centre-backs, uh, Saar, who performed really well in the last game. But no, I, I think I think they're going to be playing around with the drop zone, I think. Yeah, fair enough. I, I was just looking also at some of the previous games we've, we've had up there. Um, this will be our eighth visit to the John Smith Stadium, and it used to be called the McAlpine and probably other things as well. Um, the first, the first time I ever went there was back in October 1999, and we, we had a one-all draw. But then, of course, a couple of years later, we had the 2-1 the win, which sealed our promotion back to the Premier League with those goals from Sahar and Boa. Then there was a 14-year gap where we went up to the Premier League and never played them. Um, March 2015 was the next time we played up there, and that was when we beat them 2-0. Kakanichlitz scored after two minutes. Then there was all sorts of kerfuffle in the middle of the game when... Um, uh, Corley Woodrow was sent off and refused to leave the pitch uh, because it wasn't him that, that committed the foul. So the referee checked with the fourth official and subsequently sent off Sean Hutchison instead. And uh, Naki Wells missed two penalties in that game for Huddersfield. And then Seko Fafana scored a, a second goal for Fulham on the counter-attack in the 96th minute. So that was a cracking away day. Um, the next year in 2016, one all draw, McCormack scored. And then there was that 4-1 in 2017 when Huddersfield ended up going up, when Scott Malone, Tom Kearney and Stefan Johansson bagged a couple of goals. And we were losing in that game as well, early goal in the in the first couple of minutes. So there's quite a lot of early goals in this fixture. Uh, November 2018, Slav's last game, that 1-0 defeat in the Premier League to the only team that's beneath us in the division. Um, and then, of course, two years ago, almost two years ago to the day, actually, um, uh, we played up there and won 2-1 early in the season when Mitro scored and then Cav scored his trademark goal for the first time for us where he cuts in from the left and bends one into the top right-hand corner. Danny, any standout games there that you remember from Huddersfield? I mean, I've, I've just gone through them all, but for me, it's it's obviously that promotion game back in 2001. Big game for us, that one. Oh, I was going to say, why are you asking me? You literally just, you just named every single fixture we've ever played against them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it has to be the the promotion with Bar Bar scoring quite fitting actually with Bar back at the club. Yeah, I'm sure that's good memories for him. Um, hopefully, it gives a little motivational speech before the game, and and uh, one of the wire players, Cabano or, or Wilson or something, goes through and and does similar and gets the winner, but. Look, listen, if we're honest, it, they're in a different world to us at the moment. Uh, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. Uh, I don't mean to be overconfident. But, you know, when you think logically about the situation we're in after COVID, loads of squads in this division are, are weaker and, and clubs are not as able to, to go out and reinforce with, you know, big signing, spending money. So we should in theory, be the strongest team in this division. I don't think there's... We're not boasting there. We should be. And we should go up there and win, especially given the timing of it with, you know, the COVID situation they've got. The manager can't even be in the ground. So I don't think there's any excuses. I think this is a must win. Um, and anything but that will be quite disappointing for us. But this is Fulham, isn't it? So... Until we until we get there and get that win, we, you just never know what's going to happen. But good luck to Huddersfield this season. Got nothing against them. 
Um, but I, I think they're going to be, we're going to be at different ends of the table fighting for completely different things, I think. Well, we've got five games this month, right? We've already got one point out of the Borough game. Then we've got this Huddersfield game, followed by Millwall away. Then it's Hull, then it's Stoke. What's a good points return from those five games? Bearing in mind, we've lost the maximum we can get now. 13 points? Um, I think, let me think, 13. If you're I serious. Think nine would be. Yeah, I mean, if you're serious. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, mate. I don't know about nine. I think if you're serious about winning the league or finishing top two, you need a strong start. Okay. Yeah. Nine points. Yeah. That's, that means that's, that's dropping six points out of your first five games. No, you're right. I've just still got the last season polluted in my head, mate. That's the other <laughs> I mean, you know, like the thing is, it's just, um, I, I'm always scared of certain players that I've always been eyeing up. In the, you know, I'm, I'm scared of Jed Wallace from Wilmore. I'm, sc- I'm from Millwall. I'm scared of Sorber Thomas from Huddersfield. And this weekend, I'm just, I'm, I'm scared of all the wingers, to be honest. But yeah, I, I mm. completely agree. I think, I think we need to get, I think we need to get at least, what do you think? I mean, we should get 10 or 11, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think win the next four. I, th- I don't think that's beyond the rounds either. I, th- I think we really could do it. Do I think, think Jay, Matt, Jay Matt has to have his Snickers, mate. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, I don't think we should be fearing anyone. I don't even think we should be taking a point, um, happily taking a point uh, against teams like West Brom and Sheffield United. I think we should be going into every game mm. believing we're going to win. Um, on paper, looking at those games, I think we should beat Huddersfield. Uh, given the situation, I think we should beat Hull and Stoke at home. And the Millwall game on paper, I think, is the tricky one because you never know how the players are going to respond to that kind of environment. So if you offered me 10 points now with Millwall being the draw and win the other three, I would take that. That would give us 11 out of 15. I think that's quite a strong start, personally. Um, But I don't see any reason why we can't win all four. And it starts on Saturday. If we go on Saturday and win 3-0, then the momentum's with us. You know, who knows? Millwall might lose at the weekend. Then all of a sudden, we go into that, that game as the favourites and, and we, could be, we could be laughing. We could draw on Saturday and then, you know, we're forever chasing it. And we don't want to be chasing it. That's what we was always doing uh, under Slavin and Parker. We start slow, never in the top two, always trying to catch them and just couldn't quite do it. And we don't want that. We don't want the lottery of the playoffs. We need to be running away with it in the top two this season. And, and like Matt said, we need a good start. And I think anything from 11 to 13 points from our first five would be a, a good enough start. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, J-Mac, you said you think Huddersfield are going to be near the bottom of the table. Um, I did this for the Middlesbrough game. I had a quick look through the uh, the preview in, in 442 magazine. 4-4-2 think they're going to finish 22nd and have them going down, whereas their correspondent, their Huddersfield fan, thinks they'll finish mid-table. And I think what you find with those sorts of things is that fans generally, for writing for those publications, overstate what they think is going to happen. So I, I think anyone that says, mm, hopefully we'll finish mid-table, they're probably the sorts of supporters that are going to be looking over their shoulders. So I think they're, they're going to be expecting a rough season this season up at Huddersfield. And there's there's no reason why we why we shouldn't be going up there and and, and and getting a, a good win and getting our season, you know, springboarded, um, and and hopefully, yeah, a sign of things to come. Um, I want to ask you both about your lineup prediction, as we always do. Uh, J Mac, to you first. Do you see many changes from the side that play that started against Borough? Yeah, I mean, I personally, to 
to get that sort of 3-0 win and get the springboard that we all want, I would probably Gazaniga, Tete, Reem, Tosin, or oh, sorry, Tosin and Reem. I'd actually start Joe Bryan because I'm not too worried about Huddersfield's attack very much. And I think Joe Bryan would be could be interesting to see him exert himself slightly. Um, I'd see Harrison Reed next to Josh Onimer, and I'd have Cavalio as the number 10, and I would have uh, Cavalero and Bobby Reed as the, oh, no, sorry, Cavalero and Wilson as the wingers, and Mitrovic as the striker. That's what I would do. Just change around ever so slightly. And for you, Danny, would you change it up? Well, I don't think we should be setting up tactically to worry about Huddersfield. I think it's too early in the season to be overthinking what your opposition are going to do. We're one game into the season. We don't know what formation they're going to play, what players they've got even got available. Um, so I think all we've got to do is worry about ourselves. And I think that the lineup, although I would like the lineup to be the same, because I don't think anyone deserves to be dropped. The only obvious one to come in is Harrison Reed. But for me, for me, the, 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 the team we play has to factor in what team he wants to play against Millwall. Because I, I think we need probably a stronger 11 against Millwall away. So if that means rotating it a little bit, bringing in Joe Bryan, like J-Max said, so that Robinson's fit for Millwall, then, then I, I'm not really against that. But I don't think anyone deserves to be dropped after that um, Millwall game. Uh, sorry, that Borough game. My my only concern is is options if we have to rely on these youngsters for too long. Because... Like I said um, earlier with the Borough game, I thought they both got tired with, with after about the 65th minute. And you have Seri sitting, sitting on the bench. And Geese is on his way out, clearly. Kenny and Reed aren't fit. We're relying on two players that have what got about three or four first-team appearances between them. And Siri st- still can't get on the pitch. We ended the game with Josh Onomo as the only recognised midfielder where we just threw everyone on and just went for it. And, it, you know, it, I just, I, anyone that thinks he's going to play a part, I think he's, he's dreaming, isn't he? Because surely if, he, if there was any intention to keep him, he would have come on. Um, that was the ideal time to bring him on when those kids were tiring. So I'm waffling a bit here. Basically, I would go with the same 11 and make sure Reed is fit for that um, Millwall game. It's funny you say um, also about, you know, focusing on ourselves, because again, I'm going to mention that Tim Ream interview, and I know I'm banging on about it. Oh, Matt, listen to an interview with Tim Ream today. But this, <laughs> <laughs> but this, is, this is relevant because he, he said that they haven't even looked at the opposition for Saturday yet. They're going to do that tomorrow. But so far this week, they've just been focusing on themselves. Um, and we're arrogantly sitting here saying, yeah, we're going to turn up, we're going to win 3-0, and we're going to win the league, all this sort of stuff. But the most important thing is that the players have got that attitude and they they feel like that. Um, and the fact that they haven't even thought about the opponents on Saturday yet and they're just concentrating on their own game um, really points towards the fact that the, their heads are in a good place about this season. Um, with that in mind, let's come on to a score prediction, J-Mac. I will say... I know you guys want 3-0, but just to sprinkle a bit of J-Mac worry into it, I'm going to say 3-1, <laughs> right? So, yeah, oh. I, I think 3-1, in all honesty. That's pretty positive. Uh, I'm going to go 3-0. I think Mitro will get a couple of goals, um, and that'll be him for the season. He'll, he'll be back back on fire for the season. What are you thinking, Danny? 
Well, J-Mac thinks 3-1 and it'll be 1-0 to Huddersfield after about 30 seconds and he'll go into meltdown on WhatsApp. <laughs> I look forward to that. Um, no, I, I think I'm, I'm expecting a straightforward win uh, and I think 3-0 would be a convincing win. So that's what I'm going for. Hopefully Mitrovic gets off the mark. I think that is probably the most important thing. But based on his borough performance, for me... He has to do more. You know, I think it's wonderful that he's stayed loyal to us. And, and if he stays in this window and he he leads us to promotion again, he'll go down as one of our greatest ever players because his loyalty and dedication to the club has, has probably been questioned a lot more than other players has. Um, it, it, we have no right to keep him, especially after the way he was treated last season. So, yeah. But he needs to do more. It, he, I thought he was poor against Middlesbrough. Um, and the three, the three players behind him carried him with their movement. Um, so, yeah, hopefully Mitrovic gets off the mark. And then if that happens and he's on fire, then I don't think there's any stopping us. Yeah, I think the, the impending arrival of Muniz as well, which is going to be announced this week, allegedly will we'll keep him guessing maybe slightly. I mean, he's not going to be ready for a while, but just with a new striker coming in, I don't think he's going to replace Mitrovic by any means, but I think it, it could, it, with Mitrovic scoring and knowing a striker's coming, it could help liven him up a bit more. But I thought at Barra, he, he, some nice link-up play and stuff, good holding onto the ball. But yeah, I, I agree with Danny, it was, it was a bit lacklustre. Hope he starts again. J-Mac, Danny, thanks for joining me, chaps. And thanks to you at home for listening, as always. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already done so. You can find us on all the usual outlets. And please do tell your friends all about us if you like what you hear. We'll be back on Monday morning with all the fallout from the game. Enjoy the rest of your week and safe travels if you're heading up to Huddersfield. Speak to you on Monday, then. Cheers. Fulham.